Hello, everyone. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life. Uh, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres, I just put up a new interview with Sean Wong. Uh, there's a cool article about him in The New Yorker right now. He and a bunch of other Asian-American writers who kind of started. But we didn't talk, end up talking about that. We talked about his um, unusual beginning to his career, his brushes with people like um, Susan Sontag and his James Joyce in a weird way. Anyway, Fascinating conversation. He's an interesting guy. Go check it out at authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the fabulous people over at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. These people have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. And, well, you know, we put this, uh, I'm a part of that group and great conference every year in September. And already early bird sign up. Yes, it is. You get. Sign up for your, you get a special discount, lower rate, and you get to pitch to more agents and editors. It's a great deal. You know, we don't, and now look, we don't know yet who we're going to have for agents and editors. It's too early for that. But if you know you're going to be there and you know you're going to have a book, you're pretty sure you're going to have a book of some kind that you want to pitch, well, just do it. Just believe in yourself and do it now. Sign up now. Great rate. Go over to pnwa.org. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. It's January 2020. Hope you had a good couple weeks off. I did. I had family in town. It exhausted me, but it was great to see them. Great to see them. And uh, I got a new microphone. I hope I sound like me. I hope you recognize me. It's still me. Uh, But it's great to be back. And we're starting off a new decade. And I can't think of a better guy my guest today, Mr. Lee Goldberg, he is a two-time Edgar Award and two-time Seamus Award nominee and the number one New York Times bestselling author of more than 30 novels, 30 people, including Washington Post bestsellers Killer Thriller and True Fiction, as well as King City, The Walk, 15 Monks Mysteries, and the internationally bestselling Fox and O'Hare books co-written with none other than Janet Ivanovich. He has also written and or produced scores of TV shows, including Diagnosis Murder, Sequest, Monk, and The Glade. And he's got a brand new book out, Lost Hills. It's getting rave reviews, and it deserves it because it's awesome. Lee, welcome to the show. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, but I have to admit I'm intimidated. After hearing all about the person, your, your, your previous guest, all the people he knew, I don't know anybody like that. I know a, no? the guy at the drive-thru at McDonald's. Wait. I know my pool guy, and that's the limit of the celebrities I, I hang out with. Wait, I have to tell you, though, I've been on your website, and you have an entire page on your website called Pictures of Lee with Celebrities. Oh, I that's recall. all Photoshopped. It's all fake news. <laughs> well, you know Janet Ivanovich anyway. Yeah, I'm hoping that she'll finally stop riding on my coattails and break out on her own. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awfully nice of you. All right, well, Lee, all right, there's just a lot of stuff you've done. Uh, interesting. I, how did this all start? It, it, it sounds like career-wise, television came first. Is that right, or were, was were no? Movies? Actually, no. B- 
books came yeah. first. I wrote Booked my it. first published novel when I was 19. What? I had a professor at UCLA who wrote um, big, bulky conspiracy thrillers like Robert Ludlum was writing yeah. at the time. And we became friends, and he was approached by his publisher to write a men's action-adventure series, sort of the male equivalent of the Harlequin romance. They aren't around right. now, but back in the day, they were everywhere. They had titles like The Executioner, The Destroyer, The Immolator, The Defecator, The Drooler. <laughs> they all had E-R-O-R at the end, and some right. guy with an enormous gun and explosions and hooters. Right. And, and, right. and he said he wasn't, my professor said, he wasn't desperate enough, hungry enough, or stupid enough to write one of these. But he knew somebody who was, and he, <laughs> he recommended me. And I wrote oh a sample chapter and outline, and the, the publisher bought it. And wow. I wrote th this book called 357 Vigilante by Ian Ludlow. So I'll be on the shelf right next to Robert Ludlum, the best-selling author in America. Oh, that's so funny. And Ian for Ian Fleming. So people right. would go, Ian Ludlow. You know, that I think I read like something somebody. by him. Right. It wasn't bad. <laughs> <laughs> and my book was fortunate enough to come out at the same time this guy Bernard Getz blew away some muggers on a New York subway no train. No way. Wow. Vigilantes were hot. New World Pictures bought the movie rights to my book, hired me to write the script, and that's how my screenwriting career was born. The movie Holy. was never made, but it got me into the world of screenwriting, right. and then I subsequently uh, became a writer-producer of a bunch of TV shows and movies. And then got back to writing books in the 90s. Wow. Okay. Jesus, you just got shot out of a cannon, Lee. I did. But I also fell to earth pretty hard, too, because the book came out. It was a big success. I got a contract for three more, and I got this movie deal. And I was already imagining you know, where I'd put the movie poster on my wall, and I was pricing yeah. BMWs. But the publisher went out of business before I got my first royalty check, and New World wow. Pictures didn't make the movie. So I had this oh. big you know, shot into fame, and then it all disappeared. So wow. I graduated from college, and I went to work for an industry trade publication uh, that doesn't exist anymore called Electronic Media. It, later, they changed their name to, I think, Television Age, covering okay. the TV industry. And I wrote a spec episode of Spencer for Hire, meaning no one paid me to write it. No one asked right. me to write it. I just did right. it to show I could write an episode of a TV show. And I sent it to my agent, and my agent was so clueless about TV, she sent it to Spencer for hire. You never send a spec to the show you're specking. They only see the, all the mistakes you make. But right. I got lucky again. They were in a desperate position on that show. One of their scripts had fallen out. The producer was sitting at his desk looking at the giant stack of writing samples and saw one that said Spencer. And he was surprised someone had written a spec Spencer and right. sent it to him. He read it and liked it. Called me up and asked me if he could buy it and shoot it the following week. What? <laughs> sure. Oh then he hired God. me to write three more, and, and that's how my TV career was born. Jeez, Lee. I, you, uh, what an interesting uh, sort of it just fates. It's, you're kind of like the Forrest Gump in a way in that, I mean, not that you're not doing anything, but things you just seem to stumble into things a little bit. Is that fair? At least to start no. off. I, I, no. I, I tell this to people in, in writing classes that I'm a guest in or conferences. You, you make your own luck. There you go. And you know, in the case of, of the, the novel coming my way, I befriended a professor who wrote novels so that right. I could learn about the craft of writing thrillers. An right. opportunity came his way, and he offered it to me. And then I was working for a trade publication in the TV industry so I could learn 
how the television industry worked, and I was I had access to lots of scripts, so I could learn how scripts were crafted. So right. I, I I put myself in a position where good luck can happen to you. I, I remember I was at a conference in in Florida once, and a woman asked me you know how she could get her her book sold, and I said, What are you doing with your books that you're writing? She says, Well, I write them and I put them in my drawer. And I said, and then what? <laughs> Nothing. Right. I said, well, what do you expect to happen? Someone to be walking door to door, knock on your door one day and say, hey, I'm from HarperCollins. We're looking for novels. Do you have any? Right. <laughs> it's just so stupid. Right. So you, you have to – you mentioned earlier uh, – I don't know anything about the conference you mentioned, but going to these writers' conferences where there are agents and editors and other yeah. authors puts you in a position for good things to happen. You need yeah. to network. You need to socialize. You need to educate yourself. So, yes, I've had remarkable good luck throughout my career, but I've also, in a very mercenary sense, strategically put myself in a position where that good luck can happen. Right, obviously. And uh, and it sounds like you had an early interest in crime and suspense. Uh, was that true, or did, you, or did you just like to write, and your professor said, hey, you want to write – you know, a, a, a sort of Rambo thing, and you're like, yeah, I'll give that a shot. How did that go? What oh, I've, I've always had an interest in, in writing cri- uh, crime and, and thrillers. In okay. fact, I've been writing novels since I was like six or seven years old. My mom oh. kept everything. I have them all. I have a novel I wrote when I was like 11 years old about a guy from the future who was born in an underwater sperm bank. Now, why ah. it was underwater, how you make deposits, I have no clue. But uh, right. I was very edgy. And, right. you know, I've been writing these novels throughout my life. I'm one of the luckiest guys in the world in that I am doing exactly what I dreamed of doing when I was a kid. Now, I've been fortunate in that I come from a media family where writing is not considered something out of left field. My father was a television anchorman for KPIX in San Francisco. My mom was a gossip columnist. So the media was part of our lives. Now, no one was writing novels or TV shows, but seeing my dad on TV every night, television didn't seem alien to me. Seeing right. my mom's byline in the newspaper every day, print didn't seem alien to me. So in a way, I, I sort of incorporated what both of my parents were doing and went off in my own direction. My brother, yeah. Todd, is also a novelist, very successful, and runs the graduate creative writing program at UC Riverside. So oh. writing oh. is part of our of our DNA. And my, my sisters are writers of, of some nonfiction, uh, art books, actually. So it's it's... It's not unusual in our family for writers uh, to make a living as a writer. Well, that's awesome. You know, there is a lot to be said for the arts and television not seeming mysterious because I knew nobody in the arts really growing up. And so I had to break that down for myself. And it's one of the reasons I advise students to go to conferences because it it makes it real. It's not just a, you know, these, these are all just names on bookshelves and it doesn't seem human and then you meet the agents you meet the editors and you meet the writers and suddenly it seems real again at least it did to me and that was yes. i think one of the greatest benefits of going to them in my 20s is it helped with that i i totally agree with you so all right so you liked suspense you've always wanted to write novels but you you, you like suspense and and then you started doing tv now novels and tv very different uh i know i have friends who who write television and you know you're sometimes you're doing it on your own a lot of times you're doing it with other people um which do you have a preference do you like it both equally how does well, they're that break very down? different i mean 
uh, when you're writing for television, it's a collaborative situation. You're in a writer's room. You're dealing with a lot of other writers. And what you're writing is a blueprint for other professionals to use to do their work. It's, it's, much, it's sort of like writing a, a blueprint to build a house. It's, it's there as yeah. a guide for others. On the other hand, there are skills in television that I have applied to my novel writing. In television, oh, yeah? it's dialogue and action move the story forward. You show, right. don't tell. If you don't see right. it or hear it, it doesn't exist. Right. I like to have that same kind of momentum in my books. I, my books tend to be dialogue and action driven. Driven. I hate exposition, and I, I, I don't overwrite. <laughs> I write very tight books that, that feel like you're seeing a movie unfold in, in your mind. That's, I, I do that very consciously. And, but, 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 but you can go into, into more details and, and tell different kinds of stories in print than you can in a screenplay. And, and, and a screenplay is driven also by a certain length and act breaks and, and budget considerations and production considerations that a novel is not. Yeah. So I, I've had the schizophrenic experience of writing a monk episode at the same time as I was writing a, a monk novel, and they're two ah. very different things. Yeah, and it, it was hard sometimes to shift between the two. Yeah, well, um, it, one of the things about a television and film, I know, is you, it, especially television, you really have to beat it out. You know, you've got to know, you got to have the beats all down, and you work that out kind of before you write it. At least my friends who write television have to do that. Um, but of course, with fiction, it's different. Some people outline, some people don't. I would guess that this book that I've read, The Lost Hills, your most or Lost Hills, your most recent, is outlined, but uh, maybe not. My guess I is outline it was everything. Outlined. I think it's insane yeah. not to outline. I'm not talking about hundreds of pages. I'm, I'm talking you know, maybe five or six. You should know where you're going, especially in a mystery. I, I can usually tell when I'm reading a novel if the person's making it up as they go along. This, you should know what you're doing and not be right. figuring out your story as you write it. And, and too often the writers who don't use outlines and they're kind of bumbling along never go back and cut out the crap where they're treading water trying to figure out what the story is before they hit on it. It's right. dangerous. I, I, right. I always outline ahead of time and I urge other writers to do the same because then you can concentrate on dialogue and character and not plot as you're pushing the story forward. One reason I like crime novels so much is because they have a propulsive narrative engine and real conflicts and, and, and stakes pushing the story along. And it, it helps you write because you can cut anything that isn't inherently related to that narrative engine, to that propulsive central storyline that's pushing the story forward. I, I don't yeah. think I could write a story about a crumbling marriage or you know racial segregation or something. Right. It's just... I don't know that that I would have what I need to keep my interest in and move the story forward. I like the conflict right. that that crime and thrillers and suspense and medical dramas uh, give you. Well, the question of who, what has happened, what, who did this thing, and how are we going to? It's just such a compelling question, and you have it right from the get-go, and it's and it just can pull the story along, pull the the reader along, and it it. It just, it's such an easy, uh, I mean, nothing's easy, but it's so naturally compelling. You know? You're not ever at uh, a loss at knowing what the story is about, what the point right. is, what you're striving no. toward. You're not ambling no. around looking for direction. And that's the other reason you want to have an outline. Uh, Stephen J. Cannell created the Rockford Files and the A-Team, was a mentor to me. And we talked a lot about outlines. And he said, it's like driving. 
when you get in the car, you know you're going, say, to New York or to the grocery right. store to get a, a carton of milk. There may be five or six different routes to take to get to that destination, but at least you know where you're going. You may have adventures on the way or distractions, a car accident, whatever, but you know you're heading to New York or you know you're going to the grocery store to buy milk. That's the way I feel about an outline. You should not be stumbling along finding your way, especially in a mystery where clues are so important. I write honest mysteries, meaning I never withhold clues from the reader or the viewer. You can go back and reread the book or rewind the, the, right. the, the video and see the clues you missed. And right. that's important. You, you can't yeah. do that without an outline, I don't think. Right. And you, you mentioned you don't like exposition, and this book just drops you right in, and you're off on a, a ride. However... There is a backstory, and the characters, the main, the protagonist, um, she has a backstory that comes into play in this sto- in the book, and so you had to weave that into the story as it was unfolding. Uh, You'll I notice you that did... most of that comes out through dialogue. That's, I don't have yep. page long background talking about what she is and who right. she is and how she got right. there. There's a little of that, but ninety percent of it comes out in what people say to her and how they react to her. I think right. exposition needs to be organic. There's never any way around it. You have to have exposition. The key is to make it compelling and interesting, funny or entertaining or dramatic, and not just an info dump. Right, right. Well, you don't do that, and I thought it, I thought it was handled really well. That I would, it would, it struck me as, um, although they do in movies too. They do have info dumps in movies sometimes. They just can't seem to find their or in or on television too. But I would think that your work in screen is helpful in using dialogue to, to do the exposition. Cause you just don't have the luxury of prose, you know, yeah, to do all that. Helpful. Yeah. Television trains you how to get that exposition out of the way in an entertaining manner, or at least try to, to make it dramatic, to make it funny to make it emotional and not just here's the story of my life or here's the background on this situation or here's the information you need to know. It's one reason why I have a hard time watching these forensic dramas like Criminal Minds and CSI because you constantly have experts telling each other what they already know purely for the benefit of the viewer. And it's artificial and it's devoid of character and it's crushingly dull. Right. And uh, this book is very – Got a lot of what I would think of as verisimilitude in terms of uh, the life of a Los Angeles County sheriff. And uh, did you do you do you love doing research on this kind of thing and going and talking to these people, or is it just something just kind of comes with the territory? I love doing the research. I travel yeah. everywhere I write about, and I always meet the experts in the field that I'm writing about. In this case, I had a different cop novel in mind that I was researching, and I went to a Homicide Investigators Training Conference in Michigan, excuse me, Wisconsin, um, for this. And homicide detectives have to go through 24 hours of re-education every year to stay up to date on the latest techniques in, in the field right. and um, to, to keep their to hone their skills. And I managed to finagle myself into one of these homicide detective conferences where no civilians are allowed. Uh-huh. And at this particular conference, one of the cases being presented was one that would not have been solved if you went in using any homicide detective common sense based on experience. This case showed the importance of of approaching each homicide as if it's the first one you've ever 
investigated or you could you would have made critical mistakes and this case was presented by the original uniformed officers who were at the scene the detectives the forensic investigators the prosecutors everybody who was involved presented this case and the case was absolutely fascinating i couldn't get it out of my head and i found myself throwing out the novel i'd gone there to research and instead wanted to build a case around a, a novel around this fictional case the key to this case though was that whole thing about inexperience can you shut off your experience and look at it fresh that's how my character e ronan was born why not put an inexperienced homicide detective in right. that situation but that's sort of a a misnomer or you can't really become a homicide detective unless you've got years of experience so that right. presented a right. a challenge for me how do i get someone with no experience into the job as a homicide investigator which right. is how Eve, how i came with eve she gets the job through politics, through a viral video right. that makes her extraordinarily popular, and she gets promoted to this position to distract the public away from other scandals going on at the sheriff's department. So she has to prove herself on the fly in this new position where everyone that everyone thinks she doesn't deserve to be in. Now, and, and, and the story sort of unfolded, and the characters have unfolded naturally um, from that point. And it made the, the story very interesting and compelling for me as a writer, and I hope that translates for the reader. So that is so interesting to me. And I love how so so if the re, I don't know if the listeners heard that, but the the, the, the protagonist Eve Ronan is is a she's she's never she's been promoted to this new job as a homicide detective, and there's some question within the sheriff whether she deserved it or not because, like you said, she had kind of gotten in part because she was a. And I thought that I would have assumed that that was sort of one of the things that came to you first, but no, you needed, you had this thing you wanted and you kind of had to reverse engineer how to get it. And in so doing, you created a situation that was, that made the story that much more compelling. You needed but her to be new to it. But that's uh, so great the core of how I, I write everything. It's not reverse oh. engineering for me. My characters always are born from the story, not the other way right. around. I don't create a character and then come up with a story for that character. I come up with a story and the character emerges from that. Even when I'm working on a TV series that already exists, like Monk or Diagnosis Murder or Sequest or any series I've ever done, I always approach each episode from the story point of view. What, what, what situation would bring out the aspects that make this character unique, that make this character special, that make this character beloved, that make this character troubled? So it's, it always starts with story and character. And you know, in a TV series, you've already got the character. Um, but you can't just say, oh, what would be an interesting adventure? You've got to start with what would be an interesting conflict. And the story right. comes from that conflict and then back into right. the character. When I'm coming up with a new novel, it's always the story that creates the character. If right. that makes any sense. Yeah, no, but that's what I mean is that you had this story you wanted and you needed the protagonist to be new to – you wanted that – if I understood you correctly, that you wanted the, whoever the detective was going to be, to be new, to, to come at things new. So you, you needed that. And that, 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 that story needed that. And then as you filled in that need, you created this really cool character with a very compelling backstory and conflict within the community that she was in. And all that grew out of your desire to fill this one need of having someone with fresh eyes. Is that, yeah, is that a I fair mean, I could have done it the other way around. I could have had a very experienced detective who has to forget everything he knows. But I'm right. so tired of really experienced, competent, self-assured, haunted 
detectives right. for solving crimes. It's a cliche. Right. It's been done right. to death. They all have a dark secret and, a, and an addiction and a, an ex-wife or an ex-husband and a right. serial killer in their past or some other tragedy or they served in the war. I'm so sick of that. That's not to say it's bad. I'm just tired of it. So right. I want a character who was a not a blank slate because none of us are, but she's inexperienced. She doesn't yeah. have a wealth of, of past cases to draw upon, and she's also not a tragic, haunted character. She's a normal person with the normal flaws and history that we all have, the tragedies and successes we all carry with us, but nothing extraordinary. She does have a special skill, but doesn't have the experience yet to know how to use that skill. So what I like about her and what makes it challenging for me now that I've finished the second book with her and about to start the third is that she makes huge mistakes, really dumb mistakes, right. because she doesn't know what she's doing. And I, and I like that about her. I, I, I like that she'll do things where the reader will go, oh, God, that was dumb. Right. Because she's right. caught up in the moment. She's having tunnel vision. She doesn't have the skills yet to know the right approach. And yet, at the end of the day, she succeeds because she really is gifted. But a gifted person still needs to have a base set of skills so they know how to use their gift. Right. And so that was that was you answered my next question, which is I was wondering if it felt like she would be the first of more to come. Was that the plan from the get go, or was it? Were you just so happy with her that, and your publisher was so happy that you thought let's do a let's do a series? It was that I was happy with her. The publisher was happy with her, and um, they felt so good about the initial book that they said you know, do a second one. So the second one's finished. It'll be out a year from today, uh-huh. and based on on the success of the uh, current book, I suspect that I'll be asked soon to write a third one in this series. We'll see. I don't have a contract at the moment, but oh. I, I would be surprised considering the, the response that, at least the critical response, I have no idea yet what the sales are, but right. the critical response to Lost Hills has been the best that I've had in my career so far. That's nice. What do you think? Do you care? Do you like the, the reviews? Live by them, you die by them. How do you feel about that? Well, it's sort of a fact of life in our world right now. Um, I don't think you're going to get a contract to write more books if all the reviews say you suck. I'm not talking uh, about reader reviews, though. So those are very, very important. But right, right. now, the the reviews in the you know Publishers Weekly, National Public Radio, Los Angeles yeah. Times, uh, the reviews have just been glowing, and nice. that that and that gets people to buy the book and talk about the book. But even the reader reviews on Amazon have been really gratifying. And I don't usually read them. My wife's been right. reading them aloud to me lately. I'll be honest, <laughs> oh. having breakfast and she'll say, oh, you, you've got to hear this review. I uh, tend to avoid the reader reviews because they can be pretty harsh and uninformed yes. and yeah. um, skewed. Well, Sometimes nice. people just leave bad reviews because they don't like you as a person or they have right. uh, hatred towards Amazon or whatever. There's a lot of right. reasons why you might get crazy reviews on Goodreads or uh, Amazon. Right. Well, that's great, Lee. I hope you're enjoying. I hope you're bat. Maybe basking a little bit in it, a little bit in the. I, I don't bask because no basking. To, to okay. be to be you know brutally honest, this is how I make my living. This is how I pay my mortgage. It's a job. No matter right. what the reviews are, I have to put my butt in a chair the next morning and write something new, or tuition doesn't get paid, mortgage doesn't right. get paid. We don't right. have groceries. It's it's not. I'm not just doing this for the art. I'm doing it because it's my job. So I just keep writing. No matter what, I, I put my head down, and I, and I just write. I write something else. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Very practical. Uh, let, so if people uh, people want to learn more about you, I mean, the book, it's available, it's available, it's available. But if they want to learn a little bit more about Lee, where's the best place to go? You can go to my website, LeeGoldberg.com, or you can oh. visit me on Facebook, also at Lee Goldberg, and Twitter, Lee Goldberg, and on Instagram, Lee Goldberg 007. And I'll be on a book tour going around the country to Orange County and, and Long Beach and Houston and Milwaukee and Phoenix and Atlanta. You can check out my website for the full uh, book tour schedule, but I'll be going all over the place the next six okay. weeks. Oh, that's good. That's good. How Good for you. Not all writers are getting sent on book tours, so that is exciting. This is yeah, Thomas very, and Mercer. I'm right? very fortunate. It used to be. When I, my first book came out in 95, you know, they sent me all over the country, I mean, oh, yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Um, this time I'm going to some unusual places, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Atlanta, Scottsdale. It's, a, it's an interesting tour. Well, that's great. That's great. They must know what they're doing. People over Tom and, uh, Thomas and Mercer are pretty clever folks. So I think They're very it. clever, and I think this Jeff Bezos guy is going to go somewhere. <laughs> you might, oh, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, all right, listen, I'm not ready to let you go. I got one more question for you, and what I want you to do, Lee, is I want you to finish this sentence. If writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? It's not a half bad way to make a living. Uh, no. You, could you think of a better one? Well, my grandfather tried to get me to go in the furniture business. He said, everybody's <laughs> got to sit somewhere. And I said, what are they doing when they're sitting? They're reading a book. That's right. Said, Don't get smart with me, young man. <laughs> Well, I absolutely agree, especially if you like it. If you don't like to write, I wouldn't recommend it. But if you do, and it sounds like you do, I think it's a great way to do it. Well, here's the weird contradiction. You you mentioned all the books I've written and scripts and everything. It doesn't get any easier. It actually gets harder. Oh, oh, yeah, you and every writer I know, that's true. That's true. You want it to – because, you know, it was what Alice Hoffman said to me when I was talking to her about this. She said, every time I sit down to write, I feel like I don't know how to do this. I've never, and she'd written 26, 27 novels, whatever, you know, and it always felt new to her. People think I have my books on a shelf next to my desk or my framed TV credits on the wall because I have an ego. No, it's the opposite. It's to remind myself, Lee, you've done this before. You'll do it again. Stop whining. You'll survive. You'll come up with a story. (laughs) Really, you've been here 50 times before. But it never sinks in. I, I spent a lot of time racked with self-doubt and worry that my last book was my last book or my wow. last script was my last script. Wow. Well, Lee, I think, it, uh, although I'm sure it's hard for you to live that, I think it's good for our listeners to hear it because of many of them out there are working maybe on their first book and they've got their racked with self-doubt and they are perhaps attributing it to their to their how they're beginning of the journey, but I think it's important for us all to remember it just, it to some degree comes with the territory of facing that blank page. Is that fair? Absolutely true. Yeah, that's great. Well, Lee, thank you so much. It was great having you on the show and good luck with the book and all the others. Thank you. All right. Take it easy. Well, yes, people listen, you got a, you got a, uh, Lisa Gardner, the suspense writer we interviewed on the show. You got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. I think it's true. I think it's true. I'm going to be back again. It's the, we got lots of people planned. It's the new year. Be back again next week. Uh, thank you to my producer, RJ Jeffries. You're fabulous as always. And to all of you out there, go find something you love to do and do it. Mm-hmm.